North Otago. It's rich in history and strong in character. And you have found the podcast that celebrates all that is good within our district. Join Gary and Damien every week as they either interview a legend or someone who is putting North Otago on the map yet again. North Otago legends, up-and-comers, and a bit of history. The name says it all. G'day, Gary. How you doing? I'm very well. And hey, you? Good, Gary. Yeah. Hey, we've got to start with an apology, don't we? We do. We do, <laughs> yeah. been a bit uh, of a gap. There has been a wee bit of a gap. Um, you're a busy man. Life has been busy. and um, But we're on to it now. We've got a cracking podcast today, haven't we? We have. Yeah. And I just wanted to point out, you're, you're busy as well. So, yeah. you know, it's not just me. Yeah, well, both you, busy. Really. Yeah. yeah, it's me. I've been away. But anyway, yes, we've got a very good one to, to uh, interview today. Now, just count, I'm just going to read out a little thing here. I just want you to count how many you agree with. Mm-hmm. He is a Liverpool fan. No. no. That's, well, I agree he is, but... Yeah, but that's yeah, zero from one in my book. Yeah. Penrith fan. Doesn't even support the Warriors. So he's, no. he's batting zero from two, this guy at the moment. Backing Reds, Aussies. Yeah. Red Sox fan. I'll give oh, him yeah, that. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, yeah. you give him Red Sox. So he's one from three. Yeah. One from three. Um, Rams fan. Mm. Yeah, I get. Uh, I'm on the fence. I give him half, yeah, one yeah. and a half. Okay. Knicks fan? No. No, I'd, I'd, I'd give him another half on. I that wouldn't one. give him nothing. No. No, Golden okay. State or um, Boston. Celtics. Right. Yep. Right. Game of Thrones tragic. That's just sad, isn't it? I've, n- I've never seen an episode. Ever have I? No. Well, we won't get him onto it. <laughs> I went to watch it once, and it had gone off Netflix by then. So. <laughs> never mind. And um, proud Waitakian. We'll give him a well, ten oh, for that. Absolutely. So that boosts him up. So he's about. 11, 12 and a half out of whatever. Was it 100? Was yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, I'm not too sure. Hey, um, welcome to the podcast today, Hayden Meikle. You see I've done my homework on you. What an extraordinary <laughs> intro that was. You've set <laughs> me up here, yeah. haven't you? So the story here is you've, had, you've interviewed nobody for several weeks. Yeah. And finally you've managed to find somebody desperate enough at 7pm on a Friday night in school holidays <laughs> to give up half an hour, half an hour? Yeah. Hour and a half. Of his time, and that's how you introduce him. So thank Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> Look, I'd, I'd like to say that actually it's taken us this long to find someone good enough. Yeah. We've had some great interviewees and uh, we've, we've got another great one tonight, Hayden. I'd like to think that I'm a good interviewer, Mr. Kircher. <laughs> yes, I yes. I don't know about an interviewee. Hey, it doesn't hey, happen very often. That's our job. Thank you. We'll ask the questions <laughs> you ask around the here. Questions. Yeah. yeah um, we don't do shorthand, so we're going to have to stick Neither to us rambling a little bit. Hey, really important question. And I think... Um, from your blurb on Twitter, we probably know the answer to this, but were you born in North Otago or the Waitaki area, and did you grow up here? Yes, Damien. I was born in Paradise, yeah. as I call this town. I was born in Omaru, and I was born in the same place that Mr Richard Hugh McCaw was born, I believe, yeah. which was the hospital on the hill, where a lot of us were, August 10th, 1977, and I think Elvis died six days later. So the story is there was only room for one king. Yeah. So one of them had to leave. Uh, so, yes, I was born in Omaru. My mum and dad were here, born in Omaru, and I lived, grew up out in, out in Airedale, Ardgown, little country area, 10 minutes inland. Ardgown School, Waitaki Boys High School, two schools only. Is that right? Lived on a farm uh, until I then headed off to... Tertiary study. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of third or fourth generation North Otago, I suppose. It, it is in my blood, and 
and yeah, two different houses, but otherwise lived in the same area until I was 18. Yeah. So the Meikle name is quite well known in North Otago, especially with farming. So what kind of farm do you grow up on? Yeah, so the Meikles, I think the Meikles, I did look, because I knew you might ask this question. I think it was 1850, 1860, something the Meikles came out wow. from, well, Scotland mainly. I've also got Swedish ancestry and a bit of English, but we're Scottish. It's a Scottish name. Actually, my mum had this amazing book as a kid, and it sounds very niche. And the, literally the book was the most popular Scottish names in New Zealand. That was the, it was an actual book. Mm-hmm. And do you know what number 200 was? Even 200 was Meikle. Wow. And I, I find that bizarre to this day. <laughs> who would write such a book? But who would buy such a book just to see where how, you rate it? How, how would you measure that? And exactly. So an interest, here's one for you as well. Meikle. Hang on. Can I answer Gary's question? <laughs> yeah, I'm no, fascinated by that. But how do you measure that? You just count surnames, Gary, and add up in first place as the most. That's, that's not popularity. That's most common. Yeah, well, maybe it was most common. I might. Have, I must go find that. Book, oh, okay. Actually, see, see, this is what a real interviewer does. Gets to the nitty right. gritty. Gets gets the real facts coming out. Notice, notice how I'm rambling already. <laughs> so I always found that fascinating. And then later in life, I found out that Michael. Because I always get people asking me if I'm German, and I don't think it's because of my sort of you know slight lack of sense of humour or love of sausages. Yeah. Uh, you know, Michael. Michael. It's got yeah. a little bit of a guttural, but but no, it is pure Scottish, and it comes, believe it or not, which. You'll laugh because you are appreciating the size of the gentleman sitting on this couch. I'm not small or short. Uh, it comes from a Scottish word for big, mm-hmm. and the phrase was "many mickle makes a muckle." Right. And mickle was little stuff, and muckle was big stuff. And the muckles became the meekles, which is me and my, a lot of my family are quite tall, yeah. quite large. Anyway, where was I? <laughs> that's so, a great story. So yeah, Scottish. So, um, that's yeah. where the meekles came from. Obviously, um, very interested in your history and where you've yeah, come from, and, and all so. That. My mum, Gail, bless her soul, she mm-hmm. died six years ago. And before mum died, she was an obsessive genealogist. Yeah. Went to Scotland, spent hour, days in archives. And, and I have all of her stuff uh, in boxes in my garage. Mm. And I think it's uh, something when your mother dies, sometimes you're ready to look through those boxes and sometimes you're not. And six years later, I'm well, I'm busy with yeah. life, but one day I will. And she has documents going back hundreds and hundreds of years. So... It's been quite nice. I know the basic sketchy outline of the Meikles, yep. um, but primarily a North Otago story started. They were in Kakanui for a while. We had Meikles who ran the general store down there in the late 19th century, and then they got gold fever and took off up the valley, Marafanua, and that's where linked to sort of my grandfather, Lex Meikle. Lex and Lorna were quite well-known people in Weston. Uh, Lex grew up in Marafanua. He went to war. He was a tank driver in World War Two. came home, his dad sort of expected he'd take over the family farm up the valley, and he didn't want to. Decided it was too stony, didn't, couldn't grow stuff. Uh, and he went into one of the ballots at the time. The Rosebury Estate was broken up. And if you don't know, the Rosebury Estate was the home of the first mayor of the Waitaki District, Mr. Mm-hmm. Kircher, I'm sure you know. Gilchrist, James Gilchrist. Yes. Yeah, there's a clock in the council chamber Gilchrist that he donated. So these massive estate was split up into small farms, and my granddad Lex entered the ballot like a lot of returned soldiers, and they drew out lucky number... 34 or 43, and he, he won the right to purchase uh, Rosebury Homestead, the home block. So so the Meikles have been on that for three generations, and long story short, that's where I grew up. I, was the, I, was the, I always say to people, I was the son of a farmer, but I wasn't a farmer's son. <laughs> I, I For whatever reason, it was like I was the daughter my mother never had. I was really good at, at pikelets and yeah. scones, <laughs> and I'd feed out hay with my old man. I loved it, but I just didn't have that. Farmers are 
a special breed to mm. me, and mm. I love farmers. I huge respect for our farmers and their society, especially this district. But I just didn't have it for whatever reason, so I didn't follow my dad into farming. Mm. But anyway, does that answer your original question? It does. It does brilliantly. But it, it, a few more questions. Mm. So who's on the farm now? So my middle brother, Justin, and family. So yep. Justin is third generation. His kids are fourth generation. Yep. My brother, Aaron, and his family live at Kiora, just out of Weston. Yep. Uh, and I'm the black sheep, which is bizarre because I'm probably the most overtly proud Waitakian. I yep. love the place. I'm a bit obsessed with the place, but I'm in Mosgiel at, at the moment. But yep. it's still a, a lovely feeling to know that. So 1947, my granddad brought that farm. So it's really lovely to know there's still meekles on that place. And, and there's a lot of people around the district who have been there for a long time so that means a lot yeah brilliant roots are a really important thing aren't they oh 100 percent. and it's a beautiful i mean i love the sort of inland north otago that's Mm. my type of those rolling green hills and of course they are green now thanks to irrigation um beautiful spot close enough to a town like omaru but far enough away And, and that was my childhood probably i was i didn't spend a lot of time in omaru even though my best friend uh reese mitchell old name drop him was in omaru i I love I love being on a farm. I just didn't like the work that went with it, especially <laughs> the really hard stuff like yeah, shearing. Yeah. Yep. But I, what a place to grow up, you know, and just classic Kiwi childhood of the 80s probably. Yeah. A lot of freedom, bike around the road to the neighbours, no video games back then, no phones. So you just kind of hung out and, and you built wooden guns and you pretended to be in World War Two, which I wonder how my granddad felt at the time, to be honest. And I got an air rifle when I was 13 and I did a little bit of hunting and all that kind of stuff. It was It's still a place that's hugely important. Um, to me yeah and did you like bike to school and so on back then no I didn't actually bus Ardgown oh, okay. school which right. which another amazing I mean Ardgown school when I left had 27 kids mm. and it was people were openly talking about it shutting because of course at that time Gary I mean country yeah. schools Windsor Enfield left right and centre were closing and then an amazing man called Steve Hayward yeah turned up after I'd left uh, and Argan School now is what 120 odd kids, and there's there's five classrooms. It's yeah. an extraordinary story. So yep. I did. I biked to neighbours, but I no, a little bus to primary school, and then a big bus driven by Clive Hayes, um, which took 45 minutes to to do a long round trip through Enfield and Weston to um, to the finest school in the British Commonwealth, <laughs> Waitaki Boys High School. So yeah, but a bus boy. Yep. And you also you're pretty close with your cousins. I know they lived out round. Close to you, you had Dan and Nathan yeah. and all of those ones as well. So or? Nathan, Dan, and Anna. So my yeah. my uncle Barry, who well known obviously in real estate circles and old boys rugby club circles, yeah. he and my father farmed in partnership for a while. So okay. they were just above us until yeah. Barry moved away just around the road. So I was very close to my cousins, and to this day, I mean Dan Meikle was like a brother to me. He's in Canada now. Dan, great bloke. Um, but it was it was almost a semi-idyllic childhood. I mean, the 80s, look, I say that knowing my mum and dad did it hard. The 80s, you'll recall, horrific time for farmers. The mm-hmm. droughts were brutal. My mum uh, was a teacher at Waitaki Girls High School for 30-plus years, um, and I spent, I grew up at Waitaki Girls High School. That's the story I tell people, because yeah. she went back to work really shortly after I was born, and they had a creche. Oh, um, is that right? Duncan Drew, my good mate Dunk, yeah. well-known. Dunk and I basically grew up until we were five at Waitaki Girls, and I spent a lot of afternoons at Waitaki Girls. So the 80s for me where I did it, for mum and dad, they were tough going. Mm. And I was so pleased later in life that when irrigation came and times changed for farming, that mum and dad, life changed a bit different. Mum was able to retire quite early. As much as she loved teaching, it was quite nice to retire early and do her own thing. So, um, yeah, I loved the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. yeah. 
And your parents were pretty special people, i got to say. Yeah, they contributed a lot to the community in different ways. And I didn't realise Gary till later in life. Yeah. It was like when my father died. And I, I, my lip might still quiver a bit, but it's been nine years since Dad died, six years since Mum died, and everybody's story is different. Mm. I was lucky enough to have my dad for 37 years and Mum for 39. Some people don't have that, you know. But my life was pretty idyllic till the day I found out my dad was sick. Mm. Um, and it was I remember when Dad's funeral, and it was at the Hall of Memories, because he was as passionate about Waitaki Boys as I was, probably more so. He had a massive involvement with that school. You know, he, he was a huge involvement with the farm, the farm, the school yep. farm and the foundation. And I sort of thought, um, I, I mean, Dad's quite well known, but I don't think many people come to... And, you know, spilling out the doors of the Hall of Memories, I realised. And a, a few of my colleagues from the ODT came up, and Dave Cannon, who's one of my great friends and mentors, he ran the obituaries page at the time, and afterwards he just sort of touched me on the shoulder and said, mate, you need to write an obituary on your father because he's quite a special man. And he was quite a special mm. man, my dad, Trev. He was yep. quite different to me. He was, um, well, he was a farmer and a hunter, absolutely passionate about hunting. But later in life, he didn't care if he shot something or not. He just loved the outdoors. Yeah, just get out there. Quiet man, gentle man, but involved in a lot of stuff. Highly respected and a really interesting farmer. Mm. He got into goats. He was convinced goats were the big, as a lot of farmers <laughs> did in the 90s. I don't, where did that end up? He loved, he had deer for a while. He loved trying things. He was an environmentalist, I think. Mm. He was, definitely. Very passionate about the land. Um, and mum was, yeah, mum was a teacher. Um, became a teacher at the age of 18. Timaru Girls High School, then Waitaki Girls. Uh, softball coach, he was involved. They were both involved in a lot of stuff and they raised three sons. Uh, and I miss them mm. terribly. Everyone misses their parents if they're gone, but I do miss them terribly. And different, they were different people and they passed on different things to me. But, yeah. you know, above all, I never doubted that they were proud of me. Mm. And I talk to my son about that sometimes. That's above everything else. And I know my mum was horrified when I quit Teachers College. So that's I went to Teachers College. I was going to be a teacher like her. But they're incredibly proud of me, and I'm proud of them, uh, and I'm annoyed that they were taken in their mid-60s, which is neither young nor old, I suppose. But these days, it's not old. No, it's too young. Um, yeah. But an incredible amount of special memories. And Omaru and North Otago, for me, as a result of their deaths, is different. That's a link of the chain that I've lost. But they were North Otago people to the core, and, mm. and I, I do believe I've picked up a lot of uh, good stuff from, from both of them. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, and I, I knew both of them to a degree, but, um, you know, it was, as often happens after they passed away, that I learned more about them and mm. actually the impact that they had on a lot of people. And um, just, yeah, more of the good things that they did when yeah. they were here. So definitely left a legacy and, uh, you know, yeah, just um, want, want to say how grateful I think we are as a community that we hit them as well. And, and that, you know, we talk about legacy and my dad's legacy is the Devil's Bridge wetland. And yeah. for people who don't know... Uh, we had an area on our farm we knew as the basin, and it was, now what's the story? It was going to be the Omaru Town Reservoir, wasn't it? Big natural basin shape, or it was briefly, it was going to be. And whenever it had heavy rain, it would flood. So it was a bit hopeless for farmland. Dad couldn't really do much on it. Part of it's a rifle range. Dad was involved in the Deer Stalkers Association. But he had um, incredibly f sort of real foresight to think in the mid-90s to link with QE2 and have a covenant placed on that land and create a permanent wetland. Mm. Uh, and, and it's a remarkable asset. It's a beautiful place. Now, my brother sort of overseen it. It's um, it's full of wonderful natural stuff. And it's and 
you know, my dad gave me a lot of stuff and I, I don't need a physical thing to remember my dad, um, but that is the legacy. And in many ways, it's the Meikle family legacy, which is now protected forever for generations mm-hmm. to come. So uh, it, it's a special place and it's nice that it's got that link with my family forever. Yeah, it's, it's one, of, one of our gems and, you know, still people don't know that it's there, but, mm-hmm. you know, just urge people if they've got the opportunity, shoot out, find it and, 100%. and explore it. Well worth it. This is a wee connection there. My father did the concrete work. To, there we go. To dam it, to yeah. flood it. So, right. yeah. Lovely. Just, just, yeah. I think you did a good job, Damien. Well, it <laughs> I think it works quite well. Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> mate, it must have been a good design. <laughs> yeah. But you just don't know about your parents, eh? Yeah, they're your parents, so who you grow up with, and then you hear these stories and go, wow, actually, I was blessed. You, you grew up here, and like you said, it was tough in the 80s, but... The parents probably didn't let it show too much and no. you probably didn't want for much, you know. You, you probably had food every night and, yeah, if they had to go without. But um, that's cool. Hey, tell us a wee bit about Art Gown School. You know, you said there wasn't oh. many people there, like, but you enjoyed your time right from... Oh, I loved it. And yeah. because, yeah, 27 kids my last year, and, of course, there were only about five surnames. There were, and, and two... Well, can, can we, we get Maver? Look, two surnames, yes. Look, surnames <laughs> yeah. better known than the Meekles, Mavers, Foxes. Foxes. Um, we had Eisbisters. Um, and just, you know, I look back and think, man, it was a community and it was a classic country school. All their parents knew each other when we had pet days. And of course, pet days at a tiny rural school were a pretty big deal. And I'm, I had a pet lamb called Pandora. There you go. <laughs> and if you remember, and Damien, you'll definitely remember this, the secret diary of Adrian Mole. Yeah. It was huge in the 80s. And Pandora was Adrian's great, great love. And I had a, a Drysdale lamb. They were a great breed of sheep. My father loved them. I had Pandora the lamb. We'd take our lambs for the uh, the, the feed, lamb feeding competitions and there was a real sense of community. So working bees were never a problem because all those farmers and and their wives would turn up. Um, events at the Argyan Hall, all sorts of stuff. So I loved Argyan School. Had a variety of, of teachers. Um, famously, Al Bell, who I'm mm. sure you'll know, was, was only there for a term or two. We did interview him. Great man. Do you remember the April Fool's prank? I was prank? just about to say, did okay. he tell the April Fool's story? Because he's been telling that story for, hang on, 34 years. We'd like to hear your version of it. We've heard his version. So, so, so my principal had been Andrew Wilson, and you might know Andrew. Yeah. He was heavily involved with, um, of course, Air Training Corps was a big thing mm. from Mr. Wilson, as I'll call him. He left, and we had Al for just, I'm pretty sure it was one term. It was three terms back in those days. So one full term, he came. And I still say to this day, Al Bell, bless him, is the only man who's ever got me interested in art. So I am remarkably deficient in many areas, and one of them is art. I can't draw, I can't paint, I can't sculpt, I can't create anything like that. And I've always hated art as a result. You know, if if you can't do something well, you often hate it. I hated art. For one term only, one man made me enjoy art, and that's Al Bell. And, And sir, if you're listening, I'd just like to say thank you for doing that. But yes, um, so this is a great story that my memory is he told us, bear in mind I'm 12 at the time, and it was, in fact, yeah, I turned 12 that year, 1989 it is, Argyle School. He told us there was an Air Force flyby or some sort of special plane, an old DC-3 or something, was flying over. And we, it, the flight path was going to be directly over Little, little Argyle School, which then was two classrooms back then, the big room and the little room, they were called. And... He look twenty odd kids, but he said, "What we'll do is we'll uh, we'll go outside and we'll do the classic. The kids will lie down and form the word. I want to say hello, but I don't reckon we had enough kids. I reckon it would have just been high, high or hello. Mm. So the classic lying down on the grass, forming the word hi hello, and the plane will fly over and we'll get the waggle of the wings and 
you know, we might get on the TV news. TV3 had just started that year, I believe. We mm. might get on the evening news. And, look, it's probably – the story's probably been embellished over the years. Were we, were we lying on the grass for half an hour or an hour? Or was it five minutes, which to <laughs> us probably seemed like an hour. And and my memory is Mr Bell, when somebody complained and said, what time was this plane due? Mr Bell said – he said, I'm not sure. He said, all I knew was that it was April 1st. And I guess one of us tweaked, maybe – and we jumped up and screamed and started yelling towards him and chased him away. That's my memory. <laughs> Others might have different memories, but that man has never forgotten that story. Yeah. And most of us haven't either. So, but he was he was great. What a man! Very talented man. <laughs> yeah. So, did this um, give you a, a good dose of cynicism towards um, to, to, yeah. towards people that help with your reporting you could, later in life? You could argue that's why I got into journalism, Gary. Yes. And healthy, yeah, healthy skepticism about people and powerful roles like yes. you, know, you know mayors. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I, yeah. I, as much as I enjoyed, leaving As much as I enjoyed art for one term with Mr. Bell, I, I didn't. Well, I went into a form of art, I suppose. But no, don't don't ask me to draw a picture. Hopeless. No. Yeah. Utterly hopeless. But you create art, art with your I words see. every time you write. A little bit of art, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. But no, I, I loved arguing in school, um, and I'm still a. Years later, I um I was planning to be a teacher. So yeah. at Waitaki was High School, I did work experience, sixth form and seventh form every Wednesday afternoon, 1.30 yeah. to 3.30. That's fun. And I went to Argan School where Steve Hayward was the principal. And I said, oh, I just want to do three months to see if I really enjoy it. And I did both two full years, two hours every Wednesday afternoon and, it, and loved it. It just turned out that I loved work experience teaching, just not actual <laughs> yeah. teaching. But um, yeah, a great school. And, and it was the, one of the delights of my life that when we – when my father got sick, we moved from Dunedin back to Omaru, and um, it was lovely that and my son uh, went to Argan School oh, for about really? yeah. for, for three years, which was pretty cool because um, you know his his pop Triev had gone there and I'd gone there and, and he'd gone there and he wore the yellow shirt of Argan School, so that was hmm. that was nice. Yeah. So sport when you were young, yeah. or anything like that? Did you yeah. get into it? Or? Look, look, I'm athletically not gifted, Damien. Let's be honest here. I do not have many abilities, but as a kid, well, it's just what you did, right? Yeah. We, you, and you played Bull Rush before it was outlawed, and we played a bit of hockey and a bit of rugby. Um, so formally, I did – so I played for Western Pirates, and yes. I'm very proud to have worn the black and orange of Western Pirates. Some people have no idea what I'm talking about. One of the three foundation clubs of the modern-day Valley Club, Enfield, Union, and, and Western Pirates. So I played rugby when I was very young, seven and eight probably. I was a hooker, and I scored two tries in one game. There you go. That's I think the only tries I ever scored in my life. But I was like everybody at that age. You just run around. Yeah. Um, and my team was Barry Fox, future North Otago rugby legend. So if I was playing hooker, where was, where he, was playing? he playing? Yeah. Now that is interesting. I'm going to have to ask Foxy. But also Jason Maver, um, mm. Emmett Gradwell, future New Zealand yeah. middleweight boxing, boxing champion. champion. So we always felt quite protected on the rugby field. My yeah. mate Grads would look after us. <laughs> and I loved it. And then and this is a good wee story, which my uncle Barry, who's a bit of a comic. He, he tells me quite often, I played two years for Western Pirates, so that was my club. But the Meekles are actually historically affiliated to the Old Boys Rugby Club. Barry played for Old Boys. My uncle Ross, who also many people in this town know, scoreboard operator at Whitestone Contracting Stadium, he was an Old Boys man. We were Old Boys people, but I didn't really understand it because where we lived, I thought, had much more connection to Western, Western Pirates. So I played two years for Western Pirates, and then the third year, I'm only nine or ten at this stage, Barry... I was hanging out at Baron Dale's as I did a lot, and Barry said, "Oh, we've got to head in to sign the boys up for rugby." And I don't quite know how it happened, but I left that day signed up to play for Old Boys. 
So my secret shame, which is not a shame, but my uncles do enjoy telling it, is I also played a year for old boys. Uh, and it was about that time I got glasses. And I gave up, I played one more year of rugby. I was a bit hopeless anyway, but I got glasses. Um, so I switched to the beautiful game, which became my passion in life. And I played for the Omaru Club in the blue, yep. the blue of Omaru at the Omaru Showgrounds. Uh, goalkeeper, I guess, because by that stage I'd started to grow. I was a bit gangly and tall. Again, not because I was athletically gifted. That's where you put the kid, right? You put him in goal. And I. Or when did you play, Gary? Well, actually, at primary school, they put me in goal a lot. <laughs> well, you ain't <laughs> no more. Yeah. And gangly. Anyway, so. Anyway, so just one, one year of football. Yep. Soccer is when you're football. Yep. And I enjoyed it, but I knew it wasn't for me. By that stage, I'd discovered tennis. And I became a bit obsessed with tennis. Now, I couldn't hit a tennis ball back over the net these days. I certainly couldn't chase one. But I, I, lo- I joined the Western Tennis Club, yep. and I loved it. And tennis to me was – I was never a big server or a big hitter. I wasn't that quick. But I was – I loved – it was – I loved plotting the strategy of tennis, mm-hmm. when to go to the net, when to play here and there. And I, I ended up playing tennis for about seven years. Uh, and it is probably – one of my two claims to fame when it comes to sport. So in tennis, I – I was okay, I wasn't great, but I did represent North Otago, this lovely province, at under 12 and at under 14 level. Well, you must have been reasonably good. Um, I was okay, I held yeah. my own. Um, I love, you know, the annual Christmas tournament at the Chalmers Street course. Yeah. I just love that. So mm. many happy memories of long, hot days playing tennis. And me and my doubles partner, which was sometimes Mark Notman, sometimes Matt Gibson, um, you'd always tactically try to lose the first game. So you'd get into the plate competition. I, I lost count of how many certificates I had for winning the plate in the final. <laughs> And in under-14 level, I represented North Otago. We went to Dunedin to play Otago and Southland and stuff. And my mixed doubles partner was Shelley Stevens. Now, if people don't know, Shelley Stevens went on to become the number one female tennis player in New Zealand. So I always tell people, but not Shelley, um, you know, that I carried her, obviously, <laughs> in that mixed doubles. Um, but about then, I quit tennis and I tried badminton, squash. My dad was quite a good squash player, Trev. He was at the Excelsior squash courts there. Um and then table tennis. So growing up in the farm, in our wool shed, we had one of those old, ginormous, green table tennis tables. And I had two older brothers who were both mean and nasty and would beat me in table tennis. But at Waitaki Boys High School, I joined the table tennis club in third form. Gordon Wilson was our, was our coach. And I represented the, the top Waitaki Boys table tennis team for four years. I got my black top socks, which, of course, huge, huge honour yeah. back in the day. Black top socks, and I captained the team for a couple of years and got my blazer pocket, and I loved table tennis. And again, it was all about strategy. I wasn't very fast or whatever, but I just loved nudging people around. So, And then pretty much as soon as I left Waitaki Boys, my sports career, once so promising, <laughs> fell off a cliff, and I played a little bit of indoor soccer in Dunedin years later, uh, but I, I became obsessed with writing about sport, not playing sport. So look, I was a very, very limited um sportsman at all. I enjoyed all the sports I played and I'm a bit of an evangelist for kids getting involved in sport. My son Eli is 14 uh, discovered basketball last year which has been great uh, and he's going to give rugby a try this year so I want him to do play as many sports as he can. So but yeah no look uh, sport um, if I'm a gift to sports journalism it's it's yeah I certainly wouldn't have been to uh, actually playing sport. I, I made the right pathway call there. So you went from Sounds like you went from team sports to largely individual or, or, or at yeah. most doubles. But yeah, it does. Is, is that part of the that ability just to get on and you do your own thing and you know it's all up to you? 
Maybe me being a bit of a lone wolf naturally, it yeah. could have factored in. Possibly. Right. But although I did love the team sport thing, and mm. I have lamented a little bit later in life when I've seen what what tight teams are like, and I know you yeah. guys have experienced it with your Masters football, um, I, and I've always liked, and, and, and I'm going to fast forward drastically because I have to talk about this. It was one of my great life experiences. 2017, my mum had died. I was a little bit lost, and Hamish McKenzie and Dan Keno came to me and said, did I want to be manager of the Waitaki Boys First 15? They were the co-coaches, and I'd never thought about it before, and I thought, oh, I'm not sure. You know, mum's just died. Life's, I've got... But I said yes, and it's the best yes I've ever said in my life. And that experience was amazing. Mm. And I realised not just because I grew to love all those boys, and I'm still friends with mm. a lot of them, and Dan and Hamish were great, and Willie Guyton was our other coach. And it was interesting because it gave me an insight into sport, even at little old Waitaki Boys High School, first 15, incredible. But I felt like part of a team. And, and journalism, you know, I've chosen a career that's very individualistic. You know, that a lot of the public either don't trust us or don't like us. We deal with people who sometimes don't want to talk to us. We, You don't make friends in journalism. You make acquaintances, and, and I've made a lot of great acquaintances, but I realised that year showed me, ah, oh, this is perhaps what I did miss out by giving up team sport quite early because it adds immense value, I believe. Yeah. There's a huge thing regarding community as it comes to sport. Sport's not just about physical activity and staying healthy. It's for your mental health as much as anything, and that... And I'll use the word brotherhood, but of course brotherhood, sisterhood, it's, it was that sense of family and, and I felt it and I still feel it. So mm. so part of me laments the fact that I gave up teams, especially football, because I grew to love football and I would say football is my number one love. Yeah. And I played one season of it. Mm. So part of me wishes I had carried on with it. But anyway, I'm, I'm happy enough with what I did. I had some cool experiences. So it, as you went through and you had to make a career choice and, and obviously gave t- teaching a, a mm. bit of a shot. So, yeah, tell us what happened after that. What was your thinking? Where, where did you go to? Yeah, so mum was my inspiration to think about teaching and then, you know, hanging out with Steve Hayward at Argan School, I thought this is great fun. But Teachers College and I just didn't click and it does for some people and it doesn't for others and it didn't, I didn't love it and then I did a teaching section at Omer Intermediate School and, and I thought, I'm, I'm just not sure this is the career I want to pursue but I carried on for another year. But, English, um, and I'll drop a, a couple of names here. Um, oh no, one name, one name, and that's Dave Evenden, yeah. who died, I believe. Dave might have died mm. last year, yeah, or really, last quite year. recently. Yeah. An extraordinary man. He was my sixth form teacher at Waitaki Boys. He'd been my brother Aaron's debate coach. Aaron was a debater. And I was always, I read obsessively. So I'm from a reading family, and I'm still an obsessive reader. I read lots. And of course, lots of readers get into writing. I read lots, um, but it wasn't really until sixth form and Dave Evenden just, he was the best teacher I've ever had. And I, I won the, my class prize that year, not to brag, but that's one of the few prizes I've ever won. Top of the class. There were some very smart kids in that class too. Mm. And then in seventh form, I had the opportunity to be editor of the school paper. So the Waitaki was high school school paper had been and gone. It was called The Paper. Now there's a name for a newspaper, <laughs> The Paper. And I was editor. And Matt Chisholm, who of course yep. is an actual legend of this district, far more than I am, uh, he was on my staff, and I claim that I take all the credit for Matt's career in journalism. I really enjoyed that. So to be honest, journalism was probably tinkering away in my background as a backup plan. So when I made the decision that teaching really wasn't for me, and I'm very glad I did because I have massive respect for teachers, but I think you, it's either your career or it's not, and I knew it wasn't for me. And I had to break the news to my mother, Gail, who was a little bit distraught, but I'd looked at uh, sort of, you know, pamphlets for journalism schools. And at the time, really, Wellington and, and Timaru were the creme de la creme of journalism. And we're talking the mid-90s, newspaper, newspapers still at their height. You know, a licence to print money, journalism was a 
hundreds and thousands of journalists. Uh, and so I applied for the Timaru course, still not quite certain what I wanted to do, and I got in. And that was the, a year that transformed my life. And I don't have a great deal positive to say about Timaru now. I mean, it's the enemy, right? I don't like the place. But that year, what, 1990... What, what have they got? Not exactly. <laughs> what have they got? 1997 was the year of my life. I'd, I'd, I'd moved on from Teachers College. I met with an amazing course, 16 of us, made great lifelong friends, loved the year, and discovered... And this is, it, this is quite interesting, I think. So most, a lot of people presume that I love sport, right? They presume that all sports reporters are sports tragics. So they decide to make it their life. I'm almost the complete opposite. I was not a sports tragic. I watched all black tests with my family at 2.30 on Saturday afternoons, as we all did, because that's just what we did. And Liverpool Football Club was my first and only genuine sporting love. But I wasn't a sports tragic at all. But in 1997, I did went to journalism school and we all had to have a couple of sports to um, sometimes cover them for the Timaru Herald, which used the journalism students kind of as slave labour, which we did when the journalism school moved to Dunedin. And I got given rugby league and tennis. And I'd played tennis, but I wasn't really interested. Um, rugby league, you know, the Warriors had only just been going. I was a Penrith fan only because my mother had brought me back a hoodie from Australia in the early 90s. And we all chose a team, right? Yeah. Winfield Cup, we all chose a team, and I chose the Penrith Panthers I think I was at Balmain Tigers. Oh, there were a lot of Tigers fans, a yeah. lot of Seagulls fans. Yeah. But I was the only Panthers fan that I knew. But I covered – so every Saturday I went off and covered, first of all, tennis and then rugby league. And with the guidance of Pat McCord, whose wife Dale McCord was our tutor, suddenly my name was getting published every week in the Timaru Herald. And it was a bit of a buzz, and I'll be honest. And if journalists tell you that they don't get a buzz in the early days out of seeing their name in print, they're lying. And not only that, I got two front-page stories out of both of those. Rugby league, I love the sport of rugby league, but, but come on, it's no surprise that the page one story was about a spectator punching a player, so that got on page one. <laughs> and an amazing tennis story where a professional tennis player, because Timaru had these amazing, you know, the Desmond Dunman Tennis Centre was opened that year or the year before. They had a professional tournament in Timaru, and I was sent to cover it. And one of the professionals, Stephen Downs, he was a New Zealand, he was junior Wimbledon doubles champion, he got extremely annoyed. He threw his racket into the ground and it bounced up and hit a ball boy in the guts. So I tracked down Stephen Downs for a chat. We got the ball boy to sort of reunite with Stephen. We got a photo of them and Stephen was really gracious and apologetic. It gave the ball boy one of his rackets and that was on page one of the Timaru Herald and that lit a spark in me that lives to this day. So what, what that means for me is, as I've always explained to journalism students when I talk to them, is I got into sport through sports reporting which is very weird, and people are normally the other way. And I had a period, um, which we might talk about later, when I was editor of the Omri Mail, when a sports reporter was just a little side interest, and suddenly my interest in a lot of sport plummeted. I was still obsessed with Liverpool, and my weekend was up or down depending on Liverpool's results, but I lost my interest. So if I if I went to a Highlanders game as a fan, I, I wouldn't raise much of a flicker. When I go and sit at the press bench with my computer, I've got adrenaline buzzing through my veins. Right. Even at a Highlanders game, and this Highlanders team's okay, but not great. So I discovered a love of sports reporting that year and fluked a job, let's be honest, because in those days nobody left sports departments of newspapers. Why would you? Yeah. It's the dream job. But Richard Bock, legendary New Zealand mm -hmm. writer, journalist, now works for New Zealand Cricket, he, he left the ODT a couple of months after I graduated. Brent Edwards, the late Brent Edwards, was the sports editor of the ODT. And two things got me a job. If you recall, 1997 was really the year that North Otago Rugby's resurgence began. They made the third division final that year and lost. That was the year Greg Shipton, Peter Cook coaching the team. I wrote a big feature about 
the resurgence of North Otago, the worst rugby team in the land for 20 years, and now this amazing success story. And the ODT ran that feature, and, and at the time, people told me, oh, that's what a great feature that is, well written, Hayden. The other thing, let's face it, Brent Edwards, bless him, went to Itaki Boys High School. And when a job was available and this young student said, oh, I'd love to work at the ODT, I don't even know if I had a formal interview. Brent, he knew, having been to Itaki Boys, which yeah. we haven't talked about, Damien. I can't believe we skipped from Argyne School <laughs> to my ju- to Teachers College. Do you know we'll, who did that, though? We'll su- it was miss- Gary. We'll circle back yeah, to Itaki Boys High do. School. Um, well, yeah. this so is this, this whole thing about, like, it's the same with the sports writing. You know, you got into it because, it, I mean, you you could spend this whole t- hour talking about Waitaki Boys, so I'm d- deliberately jumping that. You are, aren't you? Look, I am a little bit obsessed with Waitaki Boys. I'm a very proud Waitaki. Well, but we'll that's how... Finish this story, and then <laughs> so, we'll get back to Waitaki Boys. I love this school, too. So on March 6th, 16th, 1998, I walked into the Target Day Times in Dunedin uh, into my dream job that, more or less, I've skipped from Dunedin to Omaru and I did a few years away from sport by necessity, sort of, and I'm glad I did because it gave me a whole lot of new experiences. But from that day, and so, yeah, so last month I'm, I was very, very proud. And, and look, some journalists are arrogant and some people think all journalists are arrogant. They're not. But some are. But that's like saying some politicians are arrogant. Gary, with all due respect, no, probably no, like saying Damien, some people in your line of work are arrogant. I'm not arrogant, but I am really proud. I'm really proud of the job I do and the job that my newspapers, the ODT and the Omri Mail, have done. And yeah, I love coming to work. So I was very proud to reach 25 uninterrupted years of full-time journalism oh. at a time when the journal, the pool of journalists is shrinking rapidly and it's a hard industry to be in. Um I'm super proud. So it started in 1998, and it's gone 25 years, and I very much hope I'll get at least another, maybe not 25, but 20, because I love it. Anyway, Waitaki Boys, what were you saying? Let's let's talk about Waitaki Boys, shall we? Oh, what a school. So So, you went there as a little third former, and what was it like from coming from this little little, um, primary school? So it was a big part of my life, because Dad had gone there. So his, my granddad hadn't, he hadn't gone to high school, but Dad and his three brothers had all gone. And then my, so I had two older brothers, so they'd gone to Itaki Boys, and my middle brother, Justin, had filled my head with horror stories about the bullying that went on and things that would happen, none of which actually happened. But I was a little bit nervous, tiny country school. Um, you go to Itaki Boys High School. But, look, my brother was brother was there. He was in sixth form. He would have a certain amount of protection or safety. And fairly early on, I just fell in. I made friends, a few country boys, and then I made my real friends. And Reese Mitchell, I'll mention again, yeah. who became my great mate, Austin Boxer, another great mind at mine at the time, um, Jared Morgan. And I was, a li- I was a bit oblivious at the time. You know, you walk into this now, that school, and I still, but look, it takes my breath away a little bit now. I love that school. You walk in then and, you know, you just got your grey shorts on and your grey shirt and your bag and, well, good English. And Steve Hines, the great man, I think he's the last teacher left who I still had, I believe. And he looks mm-hmm. the same as he did in 1990. Mm. Yeah. Uh, he couldn't turn me into a musician. I tried, I played clarinet for one year, but it, it was terrible. <laughs> So honestly, I would look back and say, at Waitaki Boys, I was I kind of cruised. I was I played table tennis. I, I did drama. I was I was lead in the school play in nineteen ninety one. The car, the car. I'm not sure it was great. And then I switched to the sound desk, mm. and we did Godspell in nineteen ninety two at the Repertory Theatre. And I was on the sound desk, and that what an experience. That was awesome. That was fantastic. I always had a little. I love drama. I did speech and speech and drama with Robin Keener, one of Robin's pupils. Um, so at Waitaki Boys, I sort of, I just went with the flow. And at the time, I couldn't have said to you, man, this is quite special, and I've picked up a lot. But years later, when I, especially when I worked at the Omri Mail, so I had two stints at the Omri Mail, and of course I was at 
all three of our high schools regularly, all three. And as much as I say negative things about St Kevin's, I still sort of value the place and the people who have gone through it. And Waitaki Girls to me is a very special place because of mum. It was only years later I truly appreciated what I guess Waitaki had done for me. People like Dave Evenden, Steve Hines, Jill Hines also was an amazing teacher. Uh, Rory Gollop was our, was my rector for the whole five years. Dave Mellish, a lot of special um, Tosh Macintosh. I mean, one of the greats. And also realised what Waitaki had done for me, the education it had given me, the grounding it had given me, the, the glorious history of the school, which I probably didn't really think about. Um, so in later years, I became a bit of an evangelist for Waitaki Boys High School. Um, it's look, It was my dream for my son to walk through the gates. He's not. He's at Tyree College, doing very well. Great school, so he won't. Um, but I retain a really special affinity. And the year with the first 15 just helped bed that in. Yeah. Uh, it's quite a different school to what it was when I left, of course. It's had mm. some up and down years. Um Daryl, of course, the current rector, doing his very best. Got some great kids out there um, to sort of rebuild Waitaki. But, yeah, I – and I've banged on about Waitaki boys a lot. I regularly mention it. Um, sort of a running joke at work is that every single thing I find, I can somehow circle back to Waitaki boys or North Otago or Omaru. Yeah, and you're also known for supporting Valley Rugby as well. I noticed yeah, yeah I love the Valley Rugby Club. Yeah. It's my club. Um, tomorrow, I'm happy to say I will be uh, cheering will, for Valley. Opening day, cheering for Valley. I do. It's a big part of me. I'm not a, I'm not a go back to the club rooms and hang out with people type of guy. I still no. have that ingrained journalism, but I still like a little bit of a gap. Mm-hmm. But I've got um, Jake Matthews, one of my boys from the first fifteen. He's starting. Mm-hmm. Barry Matthews' son. He's he's playing for Valley. Um, I say to people, look, I, so I cover the Highlanders, uh, and I, I was the rugby writer years ago, and now I'm the Highlanders writer again. I've been to All Blacks tests, I've been to a World Cup in France, and I've enjoyed it as an experience, but I don't – I hope the Highlanders succeed because it's more fun to cover a winning team, and it's good for the district, and it's mm. good for Forsyth Bar Stadium to be crammed with people watching a winning Highlanders team. But on a personal level, I, I don't feel much. My – Professional rugby leaves me cold personally sometimes. I'm very passionate about Waitaki Boys High School First 15, the Valley Rugby Club, and my beloved Old Golds. Those are my real interests. I, I wouldn't say I'm a rugby fan as such. I will say I'm specifically those three teams and yeah. the competitions they, they play in. certainly helps when the Highlanders are doing well and I'm heading off to a Canterbury Merrill Forum meeting. So yeah. yeah, you poor man. Yeah, I, uh, I get a bit of a hard time to be yeah. fair. Yeah, they're, they're, look, they're they're doing okay. Yeah, they're doing okay for what they've got. That's yeah. that's always a battle for resources and for, look, two or three All Blacks versus how many of the Crusaders got. Mm. It's just simple maths. Oh yeah, yeah. but right. they're they're a good bunch and they're trying to do things the right way. The Highlanders and I I re- retain some optimism. They've got some great kids coming through, and I do think for the district and certainly for rugby in the south, we, we need the Highlanders to be competitive. It's great that we've got a Super Rugby team based in the south. For North Otago people as well, because I know people who still head down from Omaru to watch Highlanders games. Yeah, you know, it's quite a, regular. We've yeah. got a great stadium, and um, there's still some players you want to go watch. You seem like a wise man. I've got a bit of a conundrum then. I seem like a wise man. Yeah, you you seem, you're very is wise. That, is that the conundrum? No. Oh, something else. Yeah, I just I'm not used to having someone that wise sitting opposite me, but um, normally I've only got Gary, you see. So Poor Mr. Um, Kircher. Yeah. Um, so proud Waitaki and myself, a couple of years ahead of you. Um, but my my son plays for St Kevin's First, 15. This is a Who problem. do I support in the blood match? Waitaki Boys High School. Is that, do you know what I told him? Damien. I told him is when he went to St Kevin's and he's interested in rugby, I said, if you make the first, I'll support you. But as soon as you leave school, I'll go back to supporting Waitaki Boys. Is that possible? Was that... 
Gary, do we, do we think that's acceptable? What well, if he was playing for the Crusaders? Now we're talking really, oh. like, come on now. Is, come is, on. is he good enough you need to actually hobble him before he goes on the field or something? <laughs> yeah. can't, you, can't, you hope, can't you hope that your son, we'll who I'm sure is a fine young man, yeah. is he a rower as well? Is this the young man? He's a rower. I'm sure, can't you hope for that? He scores a hat trick of tries, yeah. But Waitaki Boys wins forty two forty one. Can't you have yeah. the best of both worlds? That would be good. See, I've I've attended the blood match. See, that, that, that is why. See, yeah. there we go. Yeah. So tell your son that. Yeah. I've attended the blood match several times in a professional capacity. So when I was at the Omrah Mail, I covered it, and and people knew that I was quite openly a Waitaki Boys fan. But as soon as the whistle blew and I was working there, I was objective. And I've written a couple of stories I'm very proud of that was St Kevin's winning. Yeah. And a couple of dramatic, wonderful moments. I, I, I can put aside my yeah. pro-Waitaki, anti-St Kevin's feelings. No problem at all. Um, because I, I'm, I love that fixture. And, and I am constantly boring people in, in Dunedin and saying this is one of the great school sporting fixes in New Zealand. They're both now relatively small schools in a sense. I mean, Waitaki Boys was once a powerhouse of rugby. Yeah. Made the top four in New Zealand. But mm. now they're normally pretty evenly matched. I love the passion. I don't like the nonsense that used to go on. I think there's a lot less of that sort of nonsense. Yeah. Um, I love the passion. I've got no problem at all with people barracking wildly, and I will barrack wildly for Waitaki Boys every single year for the rest of my life. And I will be briefly gutted on the day if St Kevin's wins. No disrespect. I know a lot of fine St Kevin's people. Craig Smith, the deputy out there, and his wife Mel are two of the greatest people you'll meet. And Craig's obviously done a great job with cricket, especially at St Kevin. But I'm a Waitaki to the core, and I want the Waitaki boys to win the blood match by 30 points every single year, Damien. Yeah. There you go. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I find it quite impressive. This St Kevin's do pull out the win, you know, reasonably often compared to, the, you know, for, they've got half the boys that, Waitaki so, Boys has. Yeah. And, and I think it's important in any competition that it is a competition, that mm-hmm. it's seen to be a competition, that people aren't going there just knowing their team's going to win. 100%. So for the past 20 years, it's been pretty even. I will point out, in 2017, a very special <laughs> your year. Managed, was that your year, was it? We, yeah, yeah, we had an okay year. They were managed well. But the one day that my boys showed up, was the blood match, and we won 29-0. And to this day, me and my boys, we all that's a hashtag we use. So mm. if we text each other, Facebook message each other, <laughs> we'll often put the red and the black dots, hashtag 29-0. So very, very <laughs> proud of that. And, and may it be 29-0 this year, Damien. To St Kevin's. No. Oh. <laughs> I might have to stand yeah. on the other side of the, the well, stadium from you. And- 29-5. Your, your boy can score one try. Let him have a try. <laughs> no, let him have three or four tries as long as okay. under 29. Okay. 29-20. No, um, no conversions. <laughs> anyway, anyway you, you we'll leave the conversions to you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Gary. <laughs> Carry on, Pastor. We'll cut that bit out. Um, anyway, yeah, so boys high, great school. Great school. I love it. Prefect? Shall I tell you another story? <laughs> this is also a great story. And you can tell it hasn't bugged me for... Ye- How old am I? 1994 was my last year. I've, ever, I've one mild chip on my shoulder about my beloved school. They changed the prefix system. So for years and years, of course, they announced the prefix either at the end of the previous year or the very start of the year. And I wouldn't say I was an amazing student, but I was a pretty good student. Pretty smart, good grades, played sport, student council. I was quite involved. I would say looking back... I deserve to be a prefect. They changed the system. And the year that I went into seventh form, they decided, right, we're only naming head boy, deputy head boy, and I'll drop both those names. Justin Wilson was head boy. Great bloke, Justin. And the deputy head boy was 
I'm happy to say a personal hero of mine. Not in 1994 he wasn't, he was just another bloke. But Chris Jackson, yep. Professor Chris Jackson he is now, an amazing man, uh, one of New Zealand's leading sort of experts on cancer and cancer treatment, an extraordinary bloke. He was deputy head boy, I and mean, fair enough too. I mean, Chris was an amazing student. Then they named the heads of the houses, and I'll drop Forrester here because it was the busboy house. Only busboys in our day, Damien. In yeah, our day. Had about 300 kids as a result. Some of the other houses had about 50. <laughs> yeah. Forrester House, Omni Molten Natente was the motto, much is achieved yeah. and everyone strives. Uh, they named the head boys of the houses, and all very worthy boys. Wasn't in it, it Quantes Separe? No, that's the school, school one. one. How precious a thing is wisdom. Yeah. That was the school yeah. motto. Okay. And that's all the prefix they named. And they basically had a system where you could earn a prefect badge by choosing different roles and working towards it. And I believe it or not, because people think I'm a square. People think I'm boring. I'm a square. I'm not much of a rebel. Not much, I don't like adventure. I'm very boring. I barely drink, uh, but I, a little bit of a rebel in me. And I didn't like that. And I felt, well, the boys have been here four years. They've earned being a prefect. Yeah. So I refused to do one extra duty that year. And I believe as a result, I was not a prefect. I was a bus prefect, which is a bit, you know, that's the consolation prize. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there you go. Uh, you, you can tell how that stuck with me for 29 years. Yeah. I, I was no great shakes. I won the Stuart Hunter Memorial Prize for citizenship, which I think is one of the – it was a good prize. It was a book Ooh. voucher. But it was one of those prizes where you're not the ducks, you're not the proximate kiss it, you're not the head of a house, you've done nothing special, but you're a good kid. Yeah. We'll give you a citizenship prize. Miss Congeniality. Basically, yeah. it was me. So, look, no, I was not an amazing student, uh, but I'm happy enough with what I did. And, and look, I – Fiercely love Waitaki Boys High School, and it's had some difficult years. Let's be honest, it has. Yeah. Its role is now vastly smaller than it was when I left. But I think it's got some good people involved, and it's got hopefully tracking in the right direction and uh, will stay and remain a, a great single-sex boys' school. And I know, of course, we've had whispers for years and years and years that maybe the two single-sex state schools might turn into a state co-ed. I hope our parents, our families in, in the Waitaki District have that choice because I think we've got some pretty good schools to, to choose from. Yeah. That must be the end of the Waitaki Boys discussion. I don't think there's anything else. I, I love well, the place. Well, now I need to find out if Damien got to be prefect. No, I bet he did. Yeah, well, head of well, house. No, I got pipped for head of house, but um, now I was a prefect, honours blazer. Really? Yeah, chairman of the student council. No, secretary of the student council. I can't believe he's just chairman dropped the fact. Honours blazer. I can't believe, Gary, he's just dropped that on me. I wasn't even a prefect and he had an honours blazer. Uh, what about you, Gary? Oh, you went to Waimatihai. No, well, they had a different system then because I, I, I made it to deputy prefect. They had deputies back then. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, uh, which, which basically said, you know. Oh, that's you where know, the PC stuff. You, you, you've got, you to, you've got to go and do forth. lunch duty and, mm. and stuff like that, which I, you know, I got told off a few times by the head prefect because mm. I didn't do that duty very well. But anyway. So were you voted most likely to become mayor? No. no. Back in the day? No, when I'm talking to kids, you know, you get off, invited to schools and talk about leadership and so on, it's like pretty much the, the least likely to be in the job that I'm in. Mm. And most people say that should be the case now. But anyway, we won't go there. My year, they had Barry Fox, earmarked. Legend. Should have been head boy. Yeah. Left at the end of the sixth form. Goodness. Who was yeah. head boy in your year then? Um, they went, and, and much... Carl Dennis. Group, Carl Dennis. Great man. Second year seven. S- that, that was my vote. I remember the and scandal. They, and they put him in. No one voted of him. Because everyone got to vote and who they want, mm. and the teachers just drove him through. 
they wanted him back in the rugby team. He was a good rugby player. Oh, nice guy. Nothing wrong with him. Interesting. But it, if it wasn't him, it should have been Artley Fanini or oh, Calvin Hisco or one of those goodness. guys who have been there all year. Barry Barry was a sure and if he had mm. stayed. Oh, uh, yeah, um, but he left in a sick form. And so they made Carl Dennis, and we were all up in arms going, well, I remember he doesn't that. represent us. I remember that He's well. not even one of us. He's a year older. Where are you now, Carl? Yeah. Call in next time. Legend. Let's get we, him on the podcast. We, we, we had it pretty good. We had two head boys. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had Daryl Smith became head boy, but he left during the year and Graham Yule stepped oh, into the goodness. into the role. See, we had we had a pretty good year when I think, you know, Matt, Matt Chisholm. Matt yeah. Chisholm became, you know, everyone yeah. knows what Matt's done. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chris Jackson, yeah. the extraordinary man. We also had Chris Butcher. Yeah. Now, I don't know if have you had him yet. If not, you've got to get Chris. Do you have a good contact for us? Possibly. So yeah. people don't know, Chris was child genius. Yeah, so, you know, I know. When he was 10 or 11, he was at Wataki Girls High School studying. Got his university degree at 15 or 16. Um, my, so my year technically at school, I wasn't friends with Chris, but you know, I knew who Chris was and, and just, you know, brains off the charts. Yeah. I was a complete dunce next to him. Uh, and he went overseas to America and became massive in the video game world, huge working mm. in the Halo video and still games. Is, I believe, isn't it? One of the biggest in the world. Yeah. And I believe he was driving a Ferrari and all that sort of stuff. Kakanui boy, mm. he would be an amazing story. And mm. I, we had we had a lot of a lot of good blokes. A yeah. lot of people went on to do really good things, you know. And that's you look through history, Waitaki Boys has churned out some extraordinary people. Mm. And also me, also a journalist. <laughs> a few journalists. I mean, um, Brent Edwards, uh, Peter Williams, of course, mm-hmm. Waitaki Boys broadcaster. Um, I want to say somebody else. Was Peter Arnett? Did Peter Arnett go to Waitaki Boys High School? Maybe not. I might be don't, overreaching here. Don't remember. But a few, yeah. few journalists and, yeah. and writers. There's been a literary, mm. as of course the town of Omaru is a glorious literary tradition with you know, Janet, Frame. Janet Frame and Hayden Meekle both uh, yeah, yeah. were in this town. I'm not quite sure they belong. Owen, Owen Marshall. And Owen Marshall. Well, he taught there. He, I don't know if he, he taught there. Big, he learned yeah, there. Loved Waitaki Boys. Now so. tell me, yeah. when's your first book coming out? And we're going to have to hold it there with that question with Hayden. We realise that the time is running out. And if you want to find out when Hayden's book is coming out, you'll have to tune in next week for part two of this very entertaining uh, podcast. I hope you're enjoying as much as Gary and I. But we're going to pause that podcast there and we're going to follow up with that question next week. So thanks for listening and we'll see you all next week.